You are in the trenches of life. You are faced with pressure every day. Family, work, community, all demanding a piece of life. Fatherhood is war, but you continually battle for your soul and the souls in your family. It can feel isolating and exhausting, but there is good news. You have a heavenly father. Because of Jesus, you can be strong, courageous. You can be an intentional father, living with purpose. This is what you are meant for. You will make an impact. You are not alone. Welcome to Dad in the Trenches, a resource for biblical truth, challenge, and encouragement for Christian dads in the trenches of life. Hello there. Welcome, welcome. This is Aaron here at Dad in the Trenches, and I just want to say thanks for joining us today. This podcast today actually kicks off a few things. Uh, One, it is the start of Season 2. For you regular listeners, you know that we've had a little break between Season 1 and Season 2, and it has been refreshing, and uh, we're just glad to be back uh, with you here for kicking things off. And two, um, this episode is releasing the week before Father's Day, and like last year, we are going to do a Mondo giveaway. I'm going to have three different uh, giveaway packages that we're doing. Um, as far as I'm concerned, for Dad in the Trenches, Father's Day is like the Super Bowl for us. So uh, love getting to celebrate fatherhood. And you guys in particular, I hope to get to just bless and equip you. And um, uh, if you haven't already, be sure and follow uh, Dad in the Trenches on Instagram. That's where all the details for the giveaway will be and contest entry. Uh, make sure and turn on notifications so you don't miss anything as well. And I will be notifying our winners on Father's Day and sending out the stuff the week after. So be sure and check that out. Lastly, I am excited to have today's guests on to kick off Season 2 for us. A quick note that we do uh, touch on a range of topics, uh, some of which may be more mature and uh, you may deem unsuitable for young ears. So for sure be mindful of where and when you are listening to this episode. Fair warning there. All right, thank you so much for joining us here on Dad in the Trenches. Let's get over to our conversation. Well, gentlemen, thanks for joining us here today on Dad in the Trenches. My guest is Ken Harrison. Uh, He is the chairman of Promise Keepers and uh, has taken some time out of his busy schedule to to join us. And uh, Ken, thank you so much for for being on Dad in the Trenches. Thanks, sir. I appreciate it. Um, so for those that maybe aren't familiar with you, um, you know, talk just for a minute to us about what you do presently, your seasonal life, family dynamics, all of that. Oh, yeah. I'm married to uh, my high school sweetheart uh, coming up on our 30-year anniversary. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, we... I saw her in a car load full of girls. They pulled over to ask me directions to a party and uh, looked at the back seat, took one look at my wife and went home and said to my mom, I just saw the girl I'm going to marry. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's nice when God makes it that clear. Totally. That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Three kids, uh, two boys in college and a daughter who's married to a wonderful third son to us. We call him. Yeah. And that lives out in North Carolina. Yeah. And, uh, she just surprised us by driving all the way across the country. Uh, she has asthma, so she couldn't fly with this virus mm-hmm. thing. So she drove 28 hours out so she could spend the week with us. Oh, my and goodness. So, wow. Yeah, what, a, well, what a great thing. That is. That's fun. Um, tell us just, you know, your background. Uh, we'll get into some of this, too, with your story as well. Um, but, you know, professionally um, leading up to where you are now. Yeah, so I mean, briefly, I uh, started off life uh, on the Los Angeles Police Department, uh, was a copper in um, uh, South Central Los Angeles, which most people would know as Watts or Compton. Mm. Um, and, you know, during the gang wars and the Rodney King stuff, which really helped to give me a really great perspective on life as a young man. Um, you know, that when you stand up for righteousness and you do the right things, you're not necessarily going to be popular. And um, really loved the LAPD, really wonderful years. Um, left, got into business. God bless that business supernaturally. We're, I know we're going to get into the book a little bit. And so it does talk in there about how the Lord just really blessed that. And um, 
retired in 2012, um, and they was able to start running this foundation I run, Waterstone, mm-hmm. which we give away a, um, now around $2 million per week. Oh, wow. Uh, people give away complicated assets. What we do is we take, if somebody, you know, the real wealthy, they want to give stuff, they have a lot of equity, but not a lot of cash, and they want to be generous to the yeah. Lord's kingdom. So real estate, business, um, complicated things, then our attorneys and stuff come alongside them and help them to give that to charities is how that uh, works. And so anybody listening to this, I don't get to control where the money goes. Uh-huh. I just get to help people give it to where they want it to go. Yeah. And uh, the only thing I do is hold veto power, which I've exercised a few times if they want to give it to something that we, that does not consistent with our faith. You know, mm. So somebody wanted to give it to Princeton Medical Center a few years ago and they do abortions. So we said, no, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. And um, of course, you know, the more, most interesting thing is running promise keepers as well. So I'm, I'm the CEO of Waterstone. I'm also the CEO and the chairman of promise keepers, the revamp, you know, the really exciting news that we will be back uh, at AT&T stadium, home of the Dallas Cowboys, uh, July 31st and August 1st. Okay. Assuming the Lord allows us to do that with all the upheaval. But as of now, we're still, um, standing strong thinking that we'll get to be there and if we can't we're planning on a virtual event okay. um, if we have to that's great that is great um just with lapd as well i mean what what got you into being in the lapd my uncle was one of the most famous LA cops ever um really? he was on a bunch of the yeah crazy stuff he was uh early on in the 60s the group that fought them the mafia. And so you'll notice the mafia was never in Los Angeles. Like, you know, yeah. they're in every major city, not in LA. Well, it's because the LAPD was so aggressive and my uncle was at the center of all that. Wow. And uh, my father was on the LAPD and was shot when I was young um, in the Watts riots. Okay. And so it was kind of a family thing. As soon as I was 21, I went, wanted to go back and I'd been raised on all those stories, you know, of all the, the Patty Hearst gang and the black Panthers. And <laughs> uh, yeah. And then of course, I ended up going in at the, the all the Crips and the Bloods Wars and Rodney King, and so I ended up being in, in there uh, at a notorious time as well. I still yeah. think the 60s would have been funner, but the late <laughs> 80s weren't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that is, that's amazing. So, I mean, obviously, God uses work to shape us in a lot of ways. You know, what was something that he did for you specifically, especially being like an L.A. cop, for instance? We can talk about the business side as well, but let's talk about the L.A. cop side first. Yeah, there's a lot. And I think what happens when you're a young adult, um, the things that you pour yourself into really shape you for the rest of your life. They shape mm. your opinions, your worldview. And one of the things I learned about being a cop that was very valuable is there's a very distinctive thing. You go to, you know, I work Rampart Division, Newton Division, 77th Division. So you go to that police station, you go into the locker room, you change into your uniform, you put your badge on, and then suddenly, everybody is yes sir no sir and you know people freak out you know on cops right and and then you, the shift is over and in our you know where i work was so violent i mean we averaged over two felony arrests per day i averaged taking over one gun off the street per day wow. uh, so foot pursuits and shootings and you know it was just a constant crazy thing and then you come back and you change back in your normal clothes and suddenly you're just a 21 22 year old kid again <laughs> You know, and you, I go, I would go back to Redondo beach and I was just, Hey dude, you know, (laughs) so you learn about roles and, and, and that we have different roles in life. And that's a very distinctive role. You you hear about football players, you know, you see these guys that are ferocious on the field, the Michael Singletary, but then off the field, they're so kind and nice. And they say, it was just a flip. They switch when they put on that football Jersey and then they flip it off when they leave the locker room. And hopefully police work wasn't exactly like that, but there's a similar kind of construct. And, and it helped me as I was raising and you know, running businesses to stay focused with people on what is your role in this place? What, what is your point? And I company has a motto. Um, if I was disciplining somebody, I would say, how is what you did or said consistent with who we say we are? Tell me how those merge. And then mm. they would have to explain why they didn't quite measure up and take ownership of that answer. Yeah. So a lot of leadership on the LAPD helped me with leadership at a much bigger level you know, when, when I was running large international companies and then even down to promise keepers, there becomes a muddledness to running a major ministry with a really trusted name like promise keepers. Mm-hmm. At what point do you get involved in politics? At what point, how does that all gestate? Right. Yeah. 
Um, and so you have to come back to, well, what are we trying to do? Who are we as promise keepers and the ministry, right? Yeah. We basically have two missions. We're here to call men to Jesus Christ, the salvation and grace of Jesus. And we're here to call Christians to a holy living, to a holy life. What does that mean? And, and there are some places where politics will cross, um, but not many. And so I, you know, I've had a lot of politicians try to grab and, and you'll get involved. No, not over here, but on abortion. Yes. Over here, because mm. holy living, you cannot be a man of God and see a million and a half babies being slaughtered in the womb a year in this country and not do something about it. Yeah. And so it doesn't mean you have to, you know, wear a Republican t-shirt, but it definitely means that you and your sphere do what you can serving women, help, you know, helping uh, to in adoption centers, helping in crisis pregnancy centers, whatever you can do, so, again, that lesson I learned as a 21-year-old on the LAPD has carried through life. What is my role? What is expected of me? Mm. Not getting distracted. Yeah, that's, that's so great. And so great for even just fatherhood for us as well. Talk a little bit just about your own fatherhood, kind of maybe in a similar vein. Um, you know, what are some, some lessons that you've learned, you know, your own fatherhood story, your own in the trenches story of learning to be a dad, you know, spiritual leader of your home, that kind of thing. Keep, keep going with that line of thought. Well, we talked a little bit when we had last week, we, we started this deal and then, and then the Wi-Fi <laughs> wasn't good. Now I'm at my office where it's hopefully better. And <laughs> I did tell you the story, which is not a typical Christian leader story about my son. Yeah. And I'm, I do tell this when I speak to men, uh, sometimes when I tell it to women they kind of look at me horrified but you know, <laughs> the story is um my wife is five foot three 110 pounds and yeah. my son my oldest son was built like my wife as a, as a young boy he was tiny 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 hands tiny feet yeah. and i mean like a full head shorter than the shortest girl in his class kind of tiny yeah and so um my wife when he turned four said let's get hunter into karate because he's going to get bullied his whole life and we just wanted to be able to defend himself and yeah. so um we got him into karate and then at, when he was nine, um, he, I went to pick him up. He'd been getting bullied, tears just coming down. And any father knows that heartache when you see your child just in, in, in emotional mm -hmm. trauma, tears. Hunter would happen. He tells me the story and he says, dad, what do I do? Looks like I get bullied. I said, well, Hunter, um, you know how to throw a punch. Right? <laughs> You've been training for five years to throw a punch. Yeah. <laughs> I said, so the first thing you do when you're being bullied is you tell him he's being a bully, he needs to stop. And the second thing you do, if he doesn't, is you go tell a teacher. And then if the teacher doesn't do anything, the third thing you do is you punch him in the nose. And he says, well, dad, uh, if I punch him in the nose, what's going to happen? I said, well, either he's going to stop bullying you or he's going to punch you back. And he said, but won't that hurt, dad? I said, well, it'll, hurt, it'll hurt like heck. And um, he said, well, I don't want it to hurt. I said, I said, son you'll either suffer by being bullied the rest of your life or you'll risk the pain of possibly being punched in the nose. Yeah. I can't make that choice for you. Only you can make that choice. What I can do is prepare you and I have prepared you. You know how to throw a punch. And so I went to pick him up about nine months later at this birthday party and um, he came running out to my truck and he jumped in and he grinning from ear to ear. He said, dad, there was a bully in there. <laughs> and I said, uh, what happened? He said, well, there's these blow up rides and he told me the whole story and got the teacher and she didn't do anything. And so finally he said, you're being a bully and you need to stop. And he, he turned and he kicked Hunter's friend. So Hunter said, so I punched him in the nose. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, then he fell down and he wasn't moving. I went, oh, dude. <laughs> I guess. So just then there's this knock on my window. I'm still in the parking lot and it's my neighbor. And he says, your son just beat up this notorious bully inside. This, this kid's been beating up kids around the school and your son just decked him. And then I see this kid like a full head taller than all the other boys walking out with his shirt covered in blood. I said, Hunter, did you do that? And he smiles and he nods. And I said, we're going to go buy you a steak dinner. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I tell guys, the, the more or less story is two things, you know, a couple of things. But first of all, imagine if he didn't have a dad yeah. who, had, who had told him that story. Because Hunter hit puberty and all of a sudden his body changed. And he's this college wrestler. He's a college wrestler now. He's okay. 200, you know, six, five foot nine, 200 pounds of solid muscle. 
Yeah. Imagine if he would have grown up to be resentful and angry by being bullied. The second is we as Christians need to understand it is never okay to punch somebody out of our pride mm. um, or saving face or anger. But Hunter didn't punch them for any of those reasons. That's not what I was teaching him. Yeah. What happened was when he decked that kid, that kid bullied a whole lot less kids for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. There are maybe 50 boys that were saved by being bullied by somebody because a little tiny kid punched him in the nose. Yeah. And sometimes we as Christians have to understand that our job is to stand up for the oppressed, stand up for justice. And we teach this wimpified Christianity that is not right. Mm. And we need to have men who are bold, who stand up for the right reasons. We never strike out on anybody in pride or anger. Yeah. But man, if it's to defend others, boom. And that means we need to know how to throw a punch. We need to be clear in our intentions and clear in our morality. Mm. Because um, Jesus said, turn the other cheek, but he didn't tell you to turn somebody else's cheek. Mm. And there's a lot of women out there who are being abused and sexually harassed. And Christian men are standing by not doing anything. And they're calling themselves meek. And they're not meek. They're cowards. Mm. That's, that's a really good word. Let's, let's talk some, um, kind of just get into your book, Rise of the Servant Kings. Um, you know, one for our listeners, um, I highly recommend this book and, and this is one that I'm actually, I'm buying three copies of it, um, to have later in life for when my sons get to be, uh, more of age to where they can understand masculinity issues. And, uh, as they move into more manhood stuff, it's, this is one of those landmark, um, books that really gives you a broad base of, uh, what it means to be a, a servant King and a man of God. So. Um, one can just, um, with that, you know, what prompted you to, to write the book and, um, you know, give us a little bit of backstory on that, just as you, you kind of keep going with, there's misunderstandings, I think, in the church of what it means to be a man. And you, you just touched on some of those already, Mm. but, you know, talk some more about, you know, with the book and, and some of the backstory behind that. It is a really interesting backstory. Um, how, how the book came about was that I had been asked by men all over Denver, where I live, um, to teach them how to be a man. And a lot of successful guys came around. They saw my wife. They saw our kids, how, uh, how happy everyone was and how everyone mm. serves the Lord. All three of my kids really love Jesus. And, um, mm. and so I was t- teaching discipleship groups all over the place. And so I had a bunch of friends of mine come to me and say, hey, you got all these L.A. cop stories and business stories. You know, you should write a book. And um, I had written a book before called Victors and Victims, which was not a Christian, but it was a Christian book, but very light so that an employer gave it to his employee kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I had not been happy with how it was published or how it was handled. Uh, so it sold well in South Africa and Australia and didn't do as well <laughs> in the United States. So because the publisher was was Australian. Okay. And so I, I said to the Lord, I feel convicted to write this book on masculinity, but um, Lord, if you'll send me a proper agent you know, in, in the United States, then, so sure enough, two weeks later, boom, I, I meet this major agent who says, mm-hmm. I really want you to write this book. He says, here's the problem though. Um, nobody buys men's books. And, uh, he said, uh, men don't read. And so publishers, you know, it's kind of hard to get a book, a book deal for a men's book. I said, well, let me ask you a question. If we hit the ball out of the park, I mean, like, got the best deal ever publishing deal ever what would that look like and so he gave me the terms of the home run best deal ever that we could ever possibly get and i said well let's pray for that so i went home and told my wife elliot hey um here's a deal and i'm going to take this men's discipleship stuff that i've been teaching and put it into a book with some cop stories and um pray about how much of those that money we should give away if we get a deal and my agent says we probably won't but if we can get a deal what uh how much of the money should we give away? So I prayed about it and I came up with 80%. We'll give away 80%. And you know, you hear these stories, they go back to my spouse and they always match. Now I go back to my wife, how much do we give away? She says hundred percent. I'm like, shoot. <laughs> you <know>, so <laughs> we, we agreed we give away hundred percent of the book's proceeds. So the, my agent puts out a proposal and he says, okay, here's the thing. The proposal has a six week direct dead date on it. Hopefully someone gets a hold of us and we can get a deal from somebody. Our first call came within four days. Awesome. from one of the biggest publishers in the world. We want the book. And then another one. And then another one. Pretty soon, every major publishing house um, in America and the world was calling. And there's this huge bidding war for the book. 
And we ended up getting three times more than he said was the ultimate home run we could hit That's after awesome. we had agreed to give all the money away. <laughs> and then Promise Keepers came into the picture right around this time. And Promise yeah. Keepers was in a desperate financial position. And all, that book advanced and that money that we got was enough money to relaunch and put Promise Keepers, keepers back on his feet. Yeah. Man, so that's so awesome. interesting how the Lord works. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, and, and so, I mean, dovetail into that, just how did, how did Promise Keepers come about? Um, it was a similar deal. It was during those discipleship groups um, that I was teaching that a guy walked into one of those and said, I'm Raleigh Washington, the president of Promise Keepers. And I said, Promise Keepers, that's still a thing. <laughs> And he said, yeah, um, it is. And Raleigh asked me several times to come onto the board. And I said, dude, that, Raleigh, I don't want nothing to do with a dead organization. And um, <laughs> finally, he, he said, I need your help, Ken. And, you know, you're, you're kind of an aggressive business guy. And I know you can go in there and help me out. I said, okay, I'll come to one board meeting and help you out. And by the time I was done with the one board meeting, I was the chairman. <laughs> and I, I actually brought... Maybe a little Probably overly aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I kind of went off on the board. <laughs> uh, and it was just a mess. And so um, they, uh, they voted me chairman. And I brought Promise Keepers into Waterstone, the foundation I run, to close it. Hmm. And um, actually told all of our attorneys, go up to the Promise Keepers offices, tell me what we got. And uh, then that's when the Lord got a hold of me and supernaturally let me know, no, no, this is what my will is I want you to bring back promise keepers. And it was in such a vivid way with such strong affirmation that I literally said to my wife, I don't want to do this. This is going to be so much work, but I literally feel like I'm going to get swallowed by a big fish. If I don't bring back promise keepers, it was mm. that kind of a call. Yeah. Uh, and it's been amazing. The ride has been amazing. The passion, the great men of God I've gotten to meet and become friends with, Yeah. you know, as you and I were talking, I, just was doing a Facebook live with Mark Batterson who's become one of my close friends yeah. and um, Chad Hennings, who was one of my heroes back when he played for the Cowboys in the nineties, <laughs> air force jet fighter pilot, and then wins three Super Bowls with the Cowboys uh, <laughs> as a defensive tackle. Now he and I are close friends. He's on the board of promise keepers. And, That's cool. Um, major pastors, you know, uh, that I would listen to all the time. Now suddenly we were, we're talking on the phone all the time and James Robinson has become almost a father figure to me. And, He's a guy that I used to see when I was a little boy, you know, selling out stadiums and preaching. And mm. so it's really been an amazing thing. Um, and I do believe that there is a yearning amongst the church as a whole for leaders that will come out, men who will come out and declare sin to be sin and challenge men. First of all, God loves you. Stop doubting that he loves you. And second, get off your rear end and get into the game yeah. because there's an epidemic of suicide abortion um sin is just permeating the church and we're not doing anything about it because strong men are not standing up and being strong men and being counted and it's mm -hmm. time for you to get in because god uses bodies of believers and sitting around watching fox news and complaining isn't going to change the world <laughs> you obeying the lord is going to change the world yeah yeah and, and just where you sit right now, obviously, we're recording uh, during the COVID pandemic and uh, mm -hmm. still in the springtime. You know, is there, talk to us just about events and, and the event and what all you, you will be sure. doing. Yeah, Proverbs 28.1 says that the wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Hmm. And so, um, you know, it, I always say one of the marks of someone who's living in unrepentant sin is fear. When you see people who are filled with fear, I'll show you people who are not right with the Lord. And, uh, so we don't operate out of fear. We, we operate with sense, right? We, yeah. But we, we don't let it dictate our lives. So the event is still on um, as much as it can be. And, and that choice may be taken away from me. Uh, I've got to talk to the governor of Texas this week um, to make sure I even have that choice. Yeah. Um, so on July 31st and August 1st, uh, AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas is the first Promise Keepers event, the first, first real NFL stadium event in 20 years, 22 years. And uh, man, it's going to be unbelievable. And mm -hmm. the Lord knew this virus was going to happen when it happened uh, yeah. and when he called Promise Keepers to come back. So we're waiting on him. We're praying. Um, we've been taking a, a, a two weeks of prayer and doing some fasting. Um, getting ready to make a decision next week 
so if there's no event because we're not allowed to have one, then we'll still do a virtual event and it'll be awesome. Cool. And then we'll just come back to Dallas the next year. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Uh, before we got started on the call, I told you, you know, I was a young, young high schooler when I went to uh, Promise Keepers with my, my dad and I think it was Denton, Texas, where they had that, the Screaming Eagle Stadium or something to that effect. And uh, uh, we actually had a hailstorm come through, which was interesting. But uh, uh, remember the uh, one, just guys, just seeing all the guys together, all the dads, um, singing at the top of their lungs, worshiping the Lord. I'd never experienced anything like that before. And that was so stirring. Um, the other interesting thing I remember was seeing like what I would, I've seen my high school teenage brain of manly men. I mean, I'm talking guys that are super ripped and buff and they had the, uh, I always remember this. There's a shirt that had, it looked like Jesus doing a push up with a cross on his back and said, you know, his pain, your gain, you know, <laughs> that's one of the t-shirts I think being sold there, which I mean, maybe a little, uh, the, the spin on the false bravado there a little bit, but you know, just always, that always stuck out to me. And I'm just really excited to see what uh, the Lord's going to do and stir through this. So that's really good. Um, you know, all that stuff you just said is key. Um, on the one hand, I would say we have a feminized Jesus. Uh, if you want to know what Jesus looks like, read Revelation 1. He's pretty scary looking right now. You know, John takes one look at him and falls on his face as one dead. And yeah. Jesus said, I'm standing here judging the churches. But on the other hand, I, I think men's ministry has been way overly machoized in an unhealthy way. Yeah. And, I, and I don't like it. And I've, I've said, every time I see a poster for a men's event at a church, whatever, it's some guy with a sword in his hand. And I'm like, okay, it's been a long time since I've wielded a sword. You know, <laughs> let's let's make you know, men's ministry to real men, the common man and stop yeah. this macho garbage. Yeah. And so, um, you know, business people and artists and all those people, those are men. Yeah. And you don't have to be a Navy SEAL to be a man. And so yeah. I, I don't like, and I'm, I'm doing all I can to demachoize um, that because I don't like the Jesus doing push-ups stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Hey there, quick break. I hope that uh, you are enjoying today's episode with Ken Harrison. I did, as we were talking about the Promise Keepers event, want to take a quick moment and provide an update. Um, having since recorded this episode, there have been new developments with the Promise Keepers live event. Um, the event, the live event in Dallas, uh, Texas, has actually been. Uh, postponed or canceled and moved to being a live event in 2021. However, the dates um, still referenced and the times uh, mentioned by Ken will still be going on only in a live simulcast form now on uh, on the web. So to get more info on that, promisekeepersevent.com or of course promisekeepers.org to get more information on that. Ken will also reference these at the end of today's episode. So uh, keynotes there for you there, and we're just going to jump right back in. Thanks for listening. Um, so one of the things I did want to talk to you about, just as we, you know, talk about men in the church, and um, uh, I want to read a couple of passages just out of your book as well, um, and we can kind of see where that goes. But um, just kind of in, in relation to the spirit of the Lord and hearing God's voice. These are really great, um, there's really great chapters in there about that. And so um, in the book, you say this, you said, every believer is granted the Holy Spirit. The amount of influence the Spirit has on you depends on the extent of your surrender. And then further in the book, you say, many Christians think that being saved is enough to have intimate relationship with God, and not so. The saved person says, I will do what is good doesn't have the power to consistently do good. So maybe we could start with just, you know, unpack that for us and just the need for being led by the spirit of God. Mm. Yeah, boy, there's a lot I could say just on that short passage. <laughs> um, let me just start off with saying uh, that there's several voices competing for time in our minds. Mm. And, um, you know, we, we get used to our flesh and our flesh says, uh, uh, our, 
I mean, our sinful flesh, you know, our pride that, yeah. that my, why did that person look at me that way? And, oh, that, mm. that guy thinks he's better than me, you know, and all that. Then there's just our common person. Gee, I have to go to the bathroom. Gee, I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> um, then there's our soul. It's our, our thought process that's just going along as we're, you and I are having a conversation. It's our soul. Yeah. But there's two other voices that are competing for attention. And, and um, one is the voice of Satan. And Satan is a loud, direct voice in our ear. And a lot of times we have weird thoughts. If we stop for one moment and think, it's like, that wasn't me. That was mm -hmm. a weird. And the other is the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian. Mm -hmm. And the voice of the Holy Spirit is always soft. And so how do you tell the difference between if it's the Spirit and if it's the voice of Satan? And I tell people, um, the Holy Spirit never brings, um, it never fills your ego. The Holy Spirit only glorifies Jesus, and he, he never glorifies you. Mm -hmm. um, the second thing is the Holy Spirit always brings a sense of peace and patience. One of the Holy Spirit's favorite words is, wait, <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> Satan, on the other hand, always brings glory to self, because mm -hmm. that's how he glorifies himself. And he is always saying, he's in a hurry. you got to go now. You better hurry up. You better buy that car now, or somebody else is going to buy that car yeah. And, and some people will know what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, as I said that, they're like, boy, I've heard that voice a lot. Right. Um, and then Satan's also that voice that says, you know, you failed before you're always going to, you're going to fail again. Don't, don't mm. even try. So understand that, that learning to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit is a process because we have to die to ourselves daily. We have to die to our flesh. We have mm. to stop giving in to Satan so that we can hear his voice through all the muddle and all the noise, that mm. gentle, sweet, spirit it says in uh you know when when elijah um runs from jezebel he's just had this great victory on mount carmel over baal and uh you know it says that there was this whirlwind and god was not in the world when there's an earthquake and god wasn't in the whirlwind and there was a whisper and that was god's voice and mm -hmm. we remember that we must listen because our sinful flesh is so attuned to this world and it's so naturally attuned to the master of this world the devil We've got to die to all that, and then we begin to hear that sweet, soft voice of the Holy Spirit. And we also don't necessarily like to hear his voice because we want to hear that voice mm. that swages our ego. Hey, do the big yeah. thing. Be the big man. You're the man. And you know, joy comes when we realize we're not the man. Yeah. Jesus is the man. There's, a, there's another passage even that you go a little further. You say, do you wonder why God doesn't speak to you the way you want? Take a look at what tempts you and see whether that gives you a clue as to how far you are from him. You know, maybe talk a little bit about just the steps we need to take to overcome um, and walk forward in hearing him. Yeah. The Bible tells us all over and over again, flee from ungodly desires, right? Flee. Hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a violent thing. And so we act as if, and I actually heard a, a very big Christian uh, teacher teach on this. And I took some, bridge with him and he had he and i had discussion and he said being tempted isn't a sin um okay well hold on what tempts you though says a lot about you hmm. right if you are tempted to eat a third piece of pizza because you're a little gluttonous that's one thing if you're tempted to torture puppies that says another thing doesn't it hmm. about who you are as a person yeah. and so what we find is as we grow in christ the same things don't tempt us anymore if you're a carnal Christian, you're tempted by the frivolous things of this world. You're tempted by pride. You want to have the fancy car so everyone looks at you and thinks you're cool. You, you know, you're tempted by young girls in short skirts and, and all these things of the flesh. Those are the temptations of a carnal Christian. Mm. A sanctified believer who's filled with the Holy Spirit is not tempted by those things. Mm. A sanctified believer um, sees a young girl as somebody he wants to protect. Uh, and honor and cherish, not as someone for him to ogle. And this doesn't come by self-effort. It comes by daily surrender of yourself, and you find that God gets a hold of you, and the Holy Spirit's presence in you grows and grows, and you find that your desires change from the inside out. So when I see men getting together to talk about their lust problem, and they whine to each other as if it's some inevitable thing that you can't help, these are carnal, immature Christians who don't understand any better mm. because if you're walking with the Lord, he will change to the point where you really, um, you look at your wife as your sole object of, of sexual intimacy and no other. Mm. And you begin to see that girl as somebody who maybe needs Jesus and needs someone to love and protect her, not to be ogled by the thousandth man that day. Yeah. And so, um, 
I think we can take a big look at what is it in our hearts that's tempting us? What is it that we're, where we fall short? And that'll tell us a lot about where we are with Christ. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I, I wish I could remember who, who said it. I recently heard uh, someone saying, you know, if, if you've been struggling with lust or struggling with pornography for years, it's not a struggle. It's a stronghold. And it's like needing that aspect of exactly what you're talking about of, you know, really getting, getting honest with God of where you are and, and taking steps to remove this from your life. So key. And I say it in two different ways. Number one, I say that a habit is only a habit until you're aware of it. And then it's a choice. Mm. The other thing I say is that we in Christian, you know, we do, in the world, we do this, we change words to make our still feel better. Yeah. So I've often said when a Christian says I'm struggling in this area of my life, what he's really saying is I'm sinning and I don't want to give it up. Mm. And uh, I had recently a, another well-known um, Bible teacher tell me, you know, can you have to stop telling men they just need to stop looking at pornography? Uh, I talk a lot about the destruction uh, that's to the family. Mm-hmm. to your soul through that nonsense. I talk yeah. about how, um, again, talking about what tempts you, yeah. um, a carnal Christian looks at pornography and gets titillated. A man who's filled with the Holy Spirit looks at pornography and says, that girl is not doing that because she's having fun. She's doing it because she's been sexually abused. She's been mm-hmm. sexually trafficked. She yeah. is dirt poor, whatever crazy reason. She certainly is not doing that for fun. Yeah. And a Christian man says, I want to run in there with a blanket and cover her up and say, you don't have to do this anymore. Let me tell you about Jesus. Hmm. That's the difference. And so um, let's, let's give up our sin. And, and, and let's remember as men, Satan is always there to tell you you're not worthy and that yeah. it's not okay. And just remember how much Jesus loves us, how much he gave for us. Let's not give up the fight. Yeah. Let's not give in to Satan or the flesh. Let's go before him and understand, just like the prodigal son's father, the prodigal son was a believer. We have to remember that he is a son of the father, right? It's mm. a believer who has turned and walked away from God and is living his life in sin. And as soon as that son comes to his senses and repents, what does he find? His dad is waiting right there for him. And as soon as he turns towards his father, his father comes running to him and grabs him. That's the story of the gospel. Mm. So we don't have to live defeated. Let's live victorious lives, understanding that victorious lives start on our knees in repentance over our sin. And, and with that, too, I'll, I want to touch on one other thing you hit on in the, in the book that I think is, I mean, it goes right in with this, talking about just pride and self-reliance. You, you quote and say, many Christians live joyless lives marked by spiritual failure instead of peace and victory. They know there's something more, but they can't seem to get a hold of it. So they fake it, living proper lives, following man-made rules, never understanding that true relationship with Christ is something that is promised if they will come to the end of themselves. And then you go on to say you can have deep intellectual conviction about God and strong biblical knowledge, but you can't have effective faith or a strong prayer life when there is pride in your heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, that... I often, when I read books, I like, I star and I highlight and I'll put boxes around things. And I have a whole like, I don't know, mental categorization of how I do my (laughs) notations in the book. But like those, those two pages were like marked up crazy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, you know, following with what we've been talking about and just like what a, uh, a man of God does and how how he seeks to hear the hear God's voice and how he um, lives his way and how he approaches struggles and temptations and uh, the flesh, you know, talk to us just some about this pride and this self reliance as well. Uh, it was George McDonald that said that pride was the one sin from which all of the sins come, hmm. and um, it's because when you think about it, there was this cosmic battle in the heavens before you and I existed and God won that battle and thrust Satan where to earth. You know, and, and I think it's a Dante's Inferno. He says it's in hell that Satan dwells, but no, it's actually on earth. And Satan shakes his hand after God's thrust him down and says, it's better to, to rule in hell than serve in heaven. Hmm. The original, the original sin was pride. And you can read about that in Ezekiel when the Bible talks about casting Satan down, um, and so that's what he knows. And what was the original sin of mankind? It was pride. Mm-hmm. What was Satan's promise to Eve? 
we had two choices. We could choose to eat from the tree of life, which meant an eternity of living in God's presence and coming to know him more and more. Or we could choose knowledge, in which case we would put knowledge ahead of life. Pride, Satan said, you can be like God. And so he tempts us with what he knows, which is his pride. And that is the ugliness in each one of us, is that each one of us inside wants to be our own God. We mm-hmm. will say what's up. And, and this is, if you think about it, the explosion lately of what's going on. What, why is suicide such a brutal sin? Have you thought about that? Because life and death is the thing that God, and, and, and murder as well, but the thing that God controls. And so when we commit suicide, we say, no, God, I will choose when I die, not you. Mm. The ultimate, I'm my own God, which is really a rather silly thing. The moment you blow your brains out, you're immediately now out of control and, and, and facing judgment. This is where we see this gender stuff coming in, this gender confusion. And because what's the other thing God has control over, over our sex? And so we say, no, no, I have a penis, but I'm a female. See, I put on a dress, I'm a girl now. What a, what a ridiculously silly thing that we, our way of declaring, no, no, God, I will do, I'm going to be my own God. I declare myself to be a girl. How silly. Can you have a baby? Then you ain't a girl. Right. So, um, so pride, it, it sounds so funny when you put it that way, but it really is that simple, right? Yeah. And so we find that, that humility is a sign of a person who's in love with Jesus. And uh, the more someone loves the Lord, the more humble they become and the more they change. And I talk in the book, mm-hmm. you know, the book has a lot of stories, but they're not, none of them make me look like I'm all that great. You know, they're not hero <laughs> stories. And it, one of the very simple stories I just tell in there is how I was always late. Uh, and my wife was always early to everything. And one day, you know, she would always get someplace 15 minutes early and I would always show up 15 minutes late. She's like, can I've been sitting here for half an hour. And I would think, well, if you hadn't been early, you'd only been sitting for 15 <laughs> minutes. You know, I talk about just this arrogance of my time is so valuable that I'm going to let people wait for me. And it's inexcusable. And what I found is as I grew in Christ, I didn't try to be on time more often. Um, I just found that one day, Years had passed, and I suddenly had this reputation of the guy who was always really early to everything, and somebody commented, and I was shocked by that. Hmm. Oh, I'd never thought about it, but for the last several years, my wife said, yeah, Ken, you've been early for a long time now. I realized I wasn't on time now because I tried to be on time. I was on time because I've been humbled by the Lord, yeah. and the idea of making somebody wait for me became unthinkable. Hmm. And so we see again, as we give up our pride and we die to self, we change on our inside into the kind of clay that God can mold into the men he wants us to be. Yeah. Boil it down for us. What, what does it mean to be a servant king? What does it mean to be a man of God? It means to be accountable for the things around us um, as leaders. And so if you have a family, if you're a father, um, a husband, you understand the state of your marriage, the state of your kids is your responsibility. Mm-hmm. A man doesn't sit around waiting for, other people to do stuff. He does it. A man doesn't look around and go, who's going to fix this problem? He fixes mm-hmm. it. And that, that is true of a single man as well. A single man can certainly see things that need to be done. And that comes all the way down to even seeing a troubled, you know, waiter or waitress in the restaurant and just saying, Hey, if there's one thing I could pray for you, what would it be? That, you know, I've led a lot of people to Christ that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, just meeting a stranger and I'm not a good witness or I'm not an evangelist. You know, my good friend, Greg Steer, he's, the super crazy evangelist everywhere I go with him. He's leading people to the Lord. It's crazy. Unbelievable. I don't have that gift. Um, but what I do is I just take an interest in people and, and just track up a conversation. How you doing? How, how's, how's the weather? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, if there's one thing I could pray for you. What would it be? And it's unbelievable. I have never had anybody be hostile to that. Hmm. It's unbelievable how immediately authentic someone will become and say, Hey, my mother's dying or hey. And you suddenly realize the frivolousness that we spend our lives in. It gets real deep real quick with somebody. And let me tell you about Jesus. And I just have that conversation with them. And so um, <clears throat> I got way off down a sidetrack. I don't even remember what the question was. But No, you're good. What does it mean to be a man, be a man of yeah. God, a servant king? That's great. We realize, we, it, hey, God is, is choosing. We're his army. We're his army. We're the hands and feet that make uh, disciples of men, right? We're the ones who make it happen. And so... What does it mean to be a man? If there, if I boiled it down to one word, I would say it's accountability, hmm. understanding I'm in charge of what I'm in charge of, and hmm. I'm going to make that happen. I'm not going to make excuses. If my marriage isn't well, then what do I need to do to make my marriage better? And you may be married to a psycho. I mean, 
right? <laughs> but what can I do to make it better? It doesn't mean I'm always at fault. It just means I'll make it better. If my kids are not right, what do I need to do to make my kids right? And mm -hmm. of course, one of those answers may be I need to know scripture better so that I can teach my wife and teach my kids God's word. Mm -hmm. So I need to discipline myself to be in God's word so that the next time my child says, I don't see what's wrong with homosexuality, add your old fashioned. I can say, well, let's take a look at what Romans 1 said. Hmm. And let's take a, a look at what 1 Corinthians 1, 6 said, excuse me, yeah. 1 Corinthians 6 says, and you say, if you just want to love homosexuals, well, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 6 says that homosexuals and adulterers and the greedy um, and idolaters have no part in the kingdom of heaven. So if I loved homosexuals, wouldn't I tell them about this passage and that the grace of Jesus can wash them clean you say you don't want to say anything to them, so they're going to go straight to hell. Now, which one of us loves homosexuals? Mm -hmm. I then, as a father, begin to be accountable to my child, to teach my child from Scripture, not by offering my opinions, not by arguing, but by going to God's Word and saying, well, let's see what the Lord's Word says about this. Yeah. That's what a man is. That's solid. You know, thinking about just all of our dads in the trenches, those that are listening right now, you know, what, um, you know, two things, really. One, what encouragement would you give them, and what challenge would you give them? Um, encouraged for fathers, I would say, never forget that your child wants you to be his or her hero. Mm. And, and I don't care how old you are, and I don't care how old they are. Um, your daughter may be 50 years old, and you may have screwed up for 50 straight years. Uh, uh, the power of, of getting on your knee in front of her and saying, darling, I'm sorry for what I did. Mm. Um, getting on your knee in front of your son and saying, I'm sorry I never went to any of your ball games. I'm sorry I cheated on your mom. Uh, but I want to do better. Jesus has changed me from the inside. Now I want to be a dad to you now. It, they never, and they may be bitter. They may be angry. They may lash out. There's no more powerful thing you can do as a father than to acknowledge your mistakes and to walk with Christ from now on. And, and mm. to tell you what, even if they don't ever change, if they're older and you die someday, that affect you as a man, it'll carry through and it'll make a difference challenge to men. I think I've kind of been challenging this whole time of no God's word, no exactly. God's word. Yeah. Um, I, and you may not be all that literate. You may have dyslexia, whatever, I, you know, you can get the U version on your phone and, and listen to it. You know, I, I get in my truck and drive 40 miles to my office every day and I just put U version and I just put the little, this little microphone on there. Boom. There's a guy reading scripture to you. It's an amazing time to be in the car. And just listen to the scripture. So there is no excuse with modern technology not to know God's word. That's good. And I mean, we've been hitting all around these as well, but what's one thing you think every Christian man should know about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? Dying to your rights to yourself. Again, you know, the whole premise of sin is I'll do what I want to do. I'm God. I know better than he does. Um, God wrote scripture to us. It's his inspired word. And a lot of times, you know, the reason I'm not a pastor is because my counseling sessions would be, what about what the Bible says? Don't you understand? <laughs> so um, I would just say, meaning, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And you can't keep them if you don't even know what they are. And so um, being a disciple is giving up your rights to yourself and understanding that you have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ for the purpose of doing good works on this earth, not because they're going to give you salvation. Yeah. but because you're in love with your father in heaven. That's good. I'll kind of want to wind down from there. You know, tell us, tell us how our listeners can connect with you. Um, you know, get more info, stay up to date on what's going on with promise keepers, obviously where they can get the book, but tell us, tell us how guys oh, can. Thanks man. Yeah. Uh, so the event specifically, there is a website called promisekeepersevent.com. Promisekeepersevent.com, or you can go to promisekeepers.org. And the promisekeepers.org is the bigger website. You can get to the event from there as well. And it has a lot of great materials on it. It has some great sermons. It has some book recommendations. Um, we were talking about pornography earlier. If that's a problem for you and you're stuck at home right now, Stephen Arterburn's book, Every Man's Battle, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, if you're wondering about the Holy Spirit, I recommend uh, Andrew Murray's book, The Indwelling Spirit which he wrote 150 years ago when he was a pastor in South Africa. You know, if, if a pastor in Africa 150 years ago wrote on the Holy Spirit, you want to read that book. <laughs> um, so we have just some, some really great resources, some videos, um, some, uh, some daily 
devotionals, really cool stuff. And I, cool. as I'm making a recommendation, I would just say if there's one book that you could have besides the Bible on your nightstand, I would have my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. Yeah. Um, and if you can't remember what I just said, look on the website under devotionals and you'll see it. My, <laughs> my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. Yeah. Well, Ken, I really do appreciate your time. Uh, before you go, uh, would you take a moment and pray for us, pray for our listeners? Yeah. Lord, I just, uh, I thank you for the opportunity to declare your word. And uh, so many people listening to this, so many dads and living, they're living in defeat. They think they can't, they think they can't be better. And Lord, I pray that you would silence the voice of the enemy in their ears and that you would speak to them and let them know how much you love them and that you entrusted their son, their daughter to them because you knew that they can. And, uh, you don't do things. You don't make mistakes, Lord God. And so I pray that you would help them to understand that power comes through weakness. Uh, the strength comes from looking to you and being filled up with you every day. I pray that you would encourage them. They can know your word, that they don't have to sit in whatever thing they thought they learned or church school or bad teaching, Lord God, but they would come with fresh eyes to your word every day, knowing that your word is living, is powerful, is sharper than a two-edged sword. And so, God, I pray that these men today would not live in defeat, but would live in the power that comes from you, and that, Lord, you would give free them up from their bondage, Lord, that you would bring them to repentance from sin, that you would bring them out of regret and bitterness that Satan wants to hold them in, and you would let them know that they can be free they can live joyous and powerful lives as they submit themselves to you, not to man-made rules, Lord, but to your scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ken, thank you again. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for the privilege, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks for listening. For more content and resources, check out the website at dadinthetrenches.com or on social media at Dad in the Trenches. And be sure and click on subscribe to stay up to date with new podcasts. Walk out the heroic fatherhood you were called to live.